Thank you so much for listening to our podcast here at the Greenwood Church of God. We are so excited that you have found us here. Our prayer is that this podcast would enrich your life and give you strength for this week ahead. Thank you so much for being here. Now enjoy the podcast. This is going to be a um, message that is really um, unlike what I do a lot of times. We are going to start a, a type of a series as we start this new year talking about who we are and what God is going to do in our lives. Um, I, I don't necessarily have a series title, a series theme, but today we're going to hear some good news about who you are, who I am in Christ Jesus. We want to go to First Peter chapter um, 2. And I am going to start reading in verse 8. Verse 8. Um, we're going to work better on our spiritual um, aerobics that we do um, throughout our church on Sunday. I know some of you, you don't work out during the week. You wait till you come to church so you can get up, get down, get up, get down. But I do want to try to start the new year off right because I dropped the ball so many times in this. Would you stand for the reading of the word? Are y'all okay with that? I want to read verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, verse 9, and verse 10. Make sure I've got myself right. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which is in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. God, I pray that you'd add blessing on your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Historical figure that I thought about as I was preparing for this message was one none other than Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln was born in 1809, and he was born in a log cabin in Kentucky. He faced several setbacks, failures, and obstacles during his life. Despite all of these challenges, everyone in here, probably from the youngest to the oldest, knows who Abraham Lincoln was, what he did, and what he was a part of. Lincoln tried throughout his life several ventures. He tried various professions. He tried um, farming. He owned a store. He was a surveyor. He um, faced several financial setbacks along his path. In his 20s, he had two failed ventures that were business ventures that left him deeply indebted. His political career began and he suffered in that, many setbacks as well. He was defeated several times. He was defeated for the Illinois General Assembly, the U.S. Senate, 
and then the vice presidency of the United States. He experienced several personal and professional hardships. They included the death of his children and the ending of his law practice. As I began to read all of this information about Abraham Lincoln, I was amazed that he became president. That he found his niche. He found who he was. That when he was sitting in the Oval Office or wherever at that time how it would operate, they would look at him and say, you are the president of the United States. During his venture and his time as president, we know that he got the nation through civil war. He preserved the union. He abolished slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation. And under his leadership, he set a vision and a path for America. In fact, for most people, they would say, and I don't say most, but in my, I guess, living, people would, uh, if you had 10 people, most of them, it seems, would say one of their favorite or top five presidents would be Abraham Lincoln. Through all of his ventures, he was looking for who he was. He failed at so many things, and those voices of failure probably were still in his ear as he was saying, four score. When you look at what Abraham Lincoln was able to achieve, I can only go to those moments where someone would look at him and say, you are the president of the United States. The Bible gives us an individual of the same kind of pedigree. His name is David. In fact, I, I struggled to say whether or not I was going to speak on David because I love his life and so many people know it, his life and his story and they say, well, you know, can you, it's just so common, but I don't know of a better one that can describe what we just heard with Abraham Lincoln. David tried to be so, in fact, David's, David's path had him doing so many things, so many thing, um, ventures. He was a shepherd boy. He was a, uh, um, of a I call him a cheese and cracker deliverer because that's what he did to the, to the people. He was, he was um, um, abandoned or pushed away by his father. He found himself on the run. He found himself as a soldier. But we know David was supposed to be king. When we look at David, we see that David's life found himself looking at different things, but his life found fulfillment when he became who God had called him to be. In 1 Samuel 16 or 17, I believe, it's, it gives us this story of how David is anointed by Saul because Samuel has, or, or by Samuel because Saul has fallen as the king. And so David is anointed to be king. And David goes through many different scenarios where people were telling him he wasn't this and he wasn't that and he wasn't going to accomplish thing and anything. But David fought through all of that and said despite what my family says despite what my naysayers say despite what my detractors say despite what my failures say I know who I am in fact, for David's life, we can see there were moments where people would try to remind him who he was and he had to remind them 
no, this is who I am. In fact, one of those stories is found when David shows up carrying those cheese and crackers. He, he shows up on the battle scene in 1 Samuel 16 or 17 verses 12 through 15. And David shows up to just do a, a lowly service for the warriors, for the soldiers, and for his brothers. In fact, it says here in this scripture, it says, Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons. And in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons and followed Saul into war. And the firstborn was Eliab, the second was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And so David was the youngest and the three oldest followed Saul. But David, look at what he did. David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So David was a shepherd. But then in 1 Samuel 17, we see what else David did. David says, now Jesse, or it says about David, now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their, their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So you hear what David's task was at this point in his life. David was tasked to keep the sheep and David was tasked to deliver the crackers and the cheese. But David knew according to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16 that he was called to so much more. And so when he showed up on the battlefield, there was a Goliath and a giant there blaspheming God and throwing out insults to the people of Israel. And David gets caught talking about it by Eliab, his brother. And David said, what is going to be rewarded to the man that can slay this giant? And Eliab overhears it. And Eliab probably knew exactly what David was destined to do. And Eliab, his oldest brother, whispered, or screams or speaks to David and says why don't you just go back to those sheep in fact I could almost hear him say it like this why don't you take those crackers or that empty basket and go on back to that sheep fold that you are supposed to be at because that's all you will ever be let me tell you I don't care what someone says you're not I don't care what someone says you can't do if God has called you if God has has positioned you if God has anointed you there is no devil in hell that can stop you you can do exactly what God has called you to do somebody say amen you are not what you do right now some of you are Working in a profession, I, you know, I'm a pastor and a preacher, but you know, that's really, I'm more than that. I'm a child of God. There's a lot of preachers that may not be doing it for the right reason, but I'm more than just a preacher. I'm more than just some kind of profession. I am a child of God. He has called me. He has saved me. He has delivered me, and I'm His possession. You are not... What is told to you either? Eliab looked at him and said, you need to go back over there. 
You need to do this. You, 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 you are no, you're no good. You can't do what God's called you to do. Let me tell you, you can do exactly what God has called you to do. You can be that person. You can be that believer. You can overcome that devil. You can overcome that thing that has bothered you for years. You can overcome that anxiety. You can overcome that fear. You can overcome that worry. You don't have to worry to the whispers of hell any longer. You can be what God has called you to be. I want to tell tell somebody before we get to the meat of this and we close. You don't have to listen to the voice of the enemy any longer. I know he will whisper and I know he will roar. But you can be exactly what God has called you to be. You don't have to give in to the temptation. You don't have to give in to the struggle. You can say I come to you Jesus. I'm heavy laden. And the Bible said that he will give you rest. Say no more. Hallelujah. (laughs) You're not what is told to you and you're not what somebody wants you to be either. The Bible tells me of a situation there in that same passage that David comes to battle and wants to fight Goliath and Saul says before you do this you've got to fit the mold before you do this you've got to put my armor on in fact it says in 1 Samuel chapter 17 38 through 40 that Saul dressed David he dressed him in his own tunic he put a coat over his uh, of armor on him He put a bronze helmet on him. David fastened his sword over the tunic. You can picture this, that David is getting dressed by Saul. Saul is saying, before you do what God's called you to do, before you go and you fight that giant, you need to do what I'm telling you to do. You're going to be exactly what I think you should be. I've raised three children in a pastor's home. And not one time have I ever told them they need to preach the gospel. In fact, I tremble when somebody mentions to them that they need to preach the gospel because I never want to pave the path for them. They don't do what I tell them to do. They don't do what the church tells them to do, but they should do what God asks of them to do. Let me tell you, the, 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 the battle or the thing that God has called you to do may seem bigger than what you think you're able to do. And people may be looking at you and say saying you can't do it, you're not supposed to do it, why don't you do something else? I'm reminded in the scripture that if God be for me, then who can be against me? If he called me to a place, God can show us revival. If he's called you to a a job or a task in the church, don't you let someone talk you out of it. You say, God, if you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And so David's told all of these things that he's not. He's told he's, he, he, David, 
David's told him, all of his family, his friends, his detractors have said, you're not going to be a giant slayer. You're not going to be king. You're not going to walk in that calling. You're going to be a shepherd. You're going to always feel insignificant. You're going to do what is expected of you. And we see later David goes out to the stream, picks up five stones, put them in his little shepherd's bag, and he looks at a giant. He said, you come to me with a spear and a sword but I come to you in the name of the Lord and it was as if David was telling all of his detractors I don't care what you say you say or they say I just care what God says and he's told me that he would be with me and he's called me and I'm going to see him move in my life today I want to tell somebody here that you are not just someone that is insignificant You are not someone that does not have a call in 2024. You are not someone that needs to be just fitting the mold, so to speak, of all of our societal norms. But but 1 Peter says it like this. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar people. Listen, you are called by God Almighty and he's got a purpose for you somebody just for a moment say God use me for your purpose oh God so as we see that we are we are not what people tell us we're not what the devil tells us we're going to be we're not what we were Some of us may be ashamed of what we used to be. Some of us may be ashamed of what we've struggled with. But when you accept Christ, you are now a new creature. You are a new creation. And you are no longer what you used to be. So what are are we, Pastor? Well, Peter says it like this. You are a chosen generation. When you look at that word, that simply says like David was chosen on 1 Samuel 16. And David was brought out and he was chosen and anointed king. When you accept Christ as your Savior, He accepts you, He chooses you, He brings you, and now you are a part of a new generation. You are a chosen generation. We are a new race of people, so to speak. You are now no longer Jew nor Gentile. You're slave nor free. You're no longer male nor female, but you are one in Jesus Christ. He's called us out of the United States states he's called us out of North America and now we have been brought into this chosen generation and he has chosen to to call us and to live in us and to save us and you are chosen you're not rejected you're not ostracized you're not thrown out on the wayside you are chosen and you ought to be happy about that he said you're a royal priesthood I don't know if any of you feel as if you are royal royalty usually denotes exclusion and separation it usually if somebody walks in here and they are a part of the royal family I know it may not matter to you but more than likely you will show them some type of respect 
Because of what Christ has done, we are now able to go into the throne room and gain access because he is our high priest. So not only are now you a chosen generation, but now you are a royal priesthood. You are of royal stature. Some in this priesthood may be paupers. Some may be in a princely or a priestly or a royal family on earth. But it does not matter where you came from, where you grew up, what your address is. When you accept Jesus as your Savior and He calls you, you make no mistake about it. You are now a part of a royal priesthood that can come into the throne room and can pray and can have access to the Father. We are now children and then if we are children according to Romans 8, we are now co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We are a royal priesthood to it you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood you are a holy people you are a holy nation my God I'm reminded of when Psalms 51 is written David is in sin with Bathsheba he had committed sin with Bathsheba and he writes in there and he says create in me a new heart. David knew the, 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 the depths of wanting to be a holy person. In this passage we are told that we are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When we find Jesus we are a part of a nation that citizenship is not of this world but it is of heaven and we are now a part of a holy nation. Psalms 95 and 7 says it like this, For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care today, if only you could hear His voice. We are His people, and He separates us from this world. We don't have to act like the world, be like the world, conduct ourselves in the form of the world. We are a holy nation. Let me tell you, you can be holy. Not only are you a chosen generation, not only are you a royal peace priesthood, and not only are you a holy nation, but you are, listen to this, you are a peculiar people. Peter writes to them and says this, and some of the translation says you are a special people. But some of you know that you know some peculiar people. You can elbow whoever you want to elbow. You can look at whoever you want to look at. But some of you know peculiar people. There's a saying that a lot of people say a lot of times when you are talking about someone and you'll say, they're just a little different. And then you'll say, well, you know, we're all different. And we are. But every now and then you'll come across someone that is peculiar. Sometimes you'll hear someone preaching or saying something and you'll look at them as if they have a third eye. As if they are off their rocker. But for the child of God, listen, you are supposed to be a peculiar person. In fact, when the world looks at the church, they should look at us like we have a third eye. 
They should look at us and I understand that we want to um, fit in and I understand that we don't want to be made fun of but there is something to be said about the church being peculiar. Something that says there's something different about that person. There's something different about that individual. See, a a museum may be filled with quite ordinary things. Hats and canes and shoes and so forth. But they may be significant because they once belonged to someone famous. See, God in His anointing and His power takes people that are just common individuals. People that do look like everybody else in society. Some people that have had some mess ups and some mishaps. And some people that have, had, have done some things that they probably shouldn't have done. But what God does is He takes those people and He brings them into His museum and somebody may look at them and say, well, I remember what that person did and I remember what that person did and I remember how that person acted. But I want to tell you today, you are a peculiar people because you are special in the eyes of God and that at times is odd to this world that we serve a God that can take those that were in the mire of their sin and he can pick them up and he can place them on the solid rock and he can turn their life around and so yes this world may look at me like I've got a third eye they may look at me like I'm not supposed to be living in victory and I'm not supposed to be living with joy and with peace but I want you to know I'm telling the world and the church today I am a part of a chosen generation I am a part of a holy nation I am a part of a royal priesthood and I am a peculiar people this is Pastor Michael Mooneyham I want to say thank you so much for listening to our podcast today We are so thankful that you chose to join us in this way, but we would also love for you to come and join us in person at 1102 Sergeant John Pittman Parkway in Greenwood, Mississippi. Our service time is at 1040 a.m., and we would love to see you here. Thank you once again for listening. We hope to see you soon. God bless.